Shalom Aleichem, good evening, welcome back to 30 Letters in 30 Days, class number 22. We're in the home stretch. Today was Base Nissen. Base Nissen, of course, is a very important day on the Chabad calendar. Base Nissen means the second day of the Hebrew month of Nissen. But why is that an important day? That is the Yortzeit. Hilula of the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Rebbe of Chabad. And we have a, uh, a story that is told, not only it was told, but the Rebbe told about the last moments of the Rebbe Rashab when he conveyed the message Ich gehe jetzt in Himmel. I'm going now into heaven. Dixovim lozich eich. And I leave for you the writings, all of my Hasidic writings. And the Rebbe spoke about the deep meaning of that last will and testament, so to speak, of the Rebbe Rashab. But I'll just bring out one point that the Rebbe amplified upon, and that is the specific word laws, leave. I leave you the writings. The Rebbe Rashab didn't say that uh, the writings are being given to you, the, the writings are being transferred to you, bequeathed to you. There are many different ways that you can convey a transfer of ownership. Rather, the Rebbe Rashab said, I leave it for you. In other words, come and get it. It's available. If you want it, it's yours. But you have to make it yours. And uh, I think we've seen that throughout the 30 days, that... The Rebbe left us oitres, absolute treasures in the Igris, but you have to come and get it, and you have to make it yours. You have to actually put in a little bit of work, a little bit of sweat equity, in order to start to see the depth of it. But once you do, boy, oh boy, it's just endless. So it's been really meaningful to me to put in some extra thought and extra time and extra focus and extra concentration into these letters. And it's always rewarding, always rewarding whenever one does so. So thank you for giving me the impetus to do so these past uh, 21 evenings and for the next, uh, tonight, including tonight, what, nine evenings until Yudalf uh, Nissen. Okay. Letter number 22. Baruch Hashem, Yud Dalid Shvat, Tovshin Tesvav, Brooklyn Shalom of Racha. The date is the 14th day of Shvat. Greetings and blessings, which means the Rebbe is writing to a man, as we have said before. Here it is apparent that the Rebbe is speaking to somebody who it seems may be a rabbi, it seems he may have something to do with a shul. Um, it's not entirely clear, but we'll, we'll read the letter and we'll, uh, we'll try to piece it together. Niskabel michtove meches shvat. 
וכן גם הפן מיים הילולה. I received your letter from the eighth day of Shvat, along with the pan from the day of the Yortzeit, the passing, the anniversary of passing, which, of course, that means Yud Shvat, which we've spoken about before in previous letters, that is the Yortzeit of the Frederick Rebbe, the Rebbe's Rebbe, the Rebbe's father-in-law. And we've also spoken about what a pan is, a pidyon nefesh, that is a special type of written communication that a chassid submits to a rebbe asking for prayers on his behalf. So the rebbe says to this person, I received your letter and also the pan. Now regarding this that you say to me, that you have no excuse for the lack of your writing to me. Now, we know this, that this is something that comes up often in the Rebbe's correspondences. The Rebbe will ask people, why are you writing so infrequently? Why don't you write more often? Apparently, or possibly the Rebbe asked something like this to this letter writer, or perhaps it was unsolicited. But what's apparent is that this person wrote previously, I know I haven't written in a long time and I have no excuse for it, okay? So in other words, the person's feeling guilty. I think this is probably useful for us right now because uh, if you've been following along with how often the Rebbe asks for people to write to him, um, maybe one or two people out there considered feeling guilty. Now, <laughs> I'm just going to ask you, um, do you think the Rebbe wants people to feel guilty? about not writing to him. What do you think? You're right. He doesn't want you to feel guilty about it. Okay, so then why does he mention it? You know I feel guilty when you mention it. Okay, let's find out. I've written to many people who correspond with me. In other words, <laughs> the Rebbe is saying, this is something that comes up quite often that I have to clarify this point. This is not my intention. That's not my point. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. That's not what I'm saying. So then why? Why does the Rebbe say write more often? Now, last night, if you remember last night's letter, we had a beautiful explanation of why writing to the Rebbe with good news is going to improve our subjective outlook on life as well as because of the Kabbalistic mechanics of how our thoughts affect reality, it will improve our objective experience of life as well. That was last night. Now we're going to learn something different. And it's not a contradiction. They can both be true. It's just a different angle. You, you know, by the way, we, we, we encounter this all the time, that there are multiple reasons for things. So it's not a contradiction. It's just another perspective. All right. So last night we learned one perspective, why it's good to write to the Rebbe. Tonight we're learning another perspective why it's good to write to the Rebbe. So here, here the Rebbe says, people feel guilty about it. They say, oh, I'm so sorry. And, and the Rebbe is saying, that's not my point. That's not what I'm trying to do. So what's the point? What's the point of writing? In addition to the fact that in these days we live, proverbially speaking, in a parched wilderness, in a desert. So it's 
it's so rare to hear good news and we just we 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 thirstily drink in the good news when we hear good news so that that's one thing that i was saying but this is in addition to that it is very nice to get good news okay that's that's one thing but in addition to that and this is the main thing that i was going to say in fact he says the main thing the main thing here who is along the same lines as the saying of our sages. It's actually a madrush. If Ruvain would have known that his act was written, meaning written in the Torah, and the Rebbe gives the source, I actually think it's Periklamidala, there might be a typo, and also look in the commentary on the Medrash called Yifas Toyar. Okay, let me explain a little bit here. Uh, Ruvain here means the biblical Ruvain. It means Joseph's brother, Ruvain. Um if you remember, Ruvain was the one who said, let's not kill him, uh, let's uh, sell him into slavery. He pulled him out of the pit, and instead of killing him, he sold him into slavery. So um, the, the Rebbe says that there's a medrash that says that if Ruvain would have known that his act was going to be recorded, he would have done the job more fully, meaning... And the Medrash actually says he would have put Yosef on his shoulders, right? Like Simchas Torah, right? He would have put Yosef on his shoulders, put his little brother on his shoulders, and marched him back home to his father, right? See, Ruvain did a good thing. He saved his brother's life. But if he would have known that this is being written in the Torah and recorded for posterity, he would have gone the extra mile, and he would have put Yosef on his shoulders and marched him back home. The Medrash continues and gives a couple more examples of similar things. It says, if Aharon would have known that when Moshe, after the Moshe had his burning bush experience, and he said that I can't be the one to redeem the Jews because I have an older brother, and really he should be the one to redeem the Jews, and, and, and Hashem tells Moshe, no, 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 Aaron's happy for you. Go out and see him. You're going to see he's happy. And he went out, and Aaron was all happy. Oh, yay, baby brother, you're going to be the redeemer. But which was very nice, but the Medrash says if Aharon would have known that that episode was going to be recorded for, for eternity in the Torah, he would have come out with a marching band. That's what it says with, uh, with um, what do you call it, tambourines and with flutes, with a marching band. So uh, he would have done it even more fully. It also says, the third example says about Bayaz. Bayaz was the, 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 the chieftain, the head of the, uh, the tribe, in the time of uh, Rus, in the book of Rus, the story of Rus. So uh, she was impoverished, and he fed her roasted grains, which was very nice. But the matter says, if he would have known that this is being written down for posterity, then he would have served her fat veal, which is, uh, you know, a delicacy. At any rate... Um, it's interesting, all of these examples in the Madrash that the Rebbe is referring to are examples of people who did, who did good things and they would have done it even better had they known it was going to be written down. Or like we say, and the Rebbe said many times, as good is good is besser nicht besser. If good is good, isn't better even better? Of course it is. So the Rebbe is not saying that if you knew you had to write what you're doing and be accountable in writing, then you'd stop doing bad stuff. No, no, that's not what the Rebbe is saying. The Rebbe is saying, you're doing good stuff already. You're doing good stuff already. 
But if you knew that you were going to write to me about all the good stuff you're doing, <laughs> then you would do your good stuff even better, just like these examples in the Madrush. By the way, the Rebbe says to look in the Yifas there, which is the, the one of the commentaries on the Madrush. So if you look there, it's interesting. The Yifas asks a question, which is, why would these tzaddikim be so concerned with COVID, with honor? Like, oh, if it was anonymous and no one would know about it, so they would do it kind of halfway. But once they know it's there's going to be piercing, it's going to be uh, written in the Torah, now they're going to do it more fully? Like, doesn't sound very righteous. So Yifas Torah explains a few different, very legitimate explanations that have nothing to do with being corrupt or, or, or looking for attention. Legitimate reasons why a person would do something more fully if he knew it was being written. Uh, he says one thing is that, um, you know, there are things that when you do them in public, when people are watching, Torah demands that you take extra care, like the idea of maris ayin, right? Where you're not doing anything wrong, but it could look, could give an impression that you're doing something wrong, so you have to be extra careful. And there's such a concept in Torah, in Halacha, that you have to be concerned with outward appearances. So, And that's a legitimate reason for doing things even more carefully, more meticulously, when you know that people are observing. Okay, that's one explanation. Fas Tayyag is another explanation. He says sometimes that a person does something good, but he's embarrassed of the people or, or even afraid of the people around. But if he knows that it's not just the immediate people who are watching him, this is all generations who are watching him, so to speak, then it emboldens him to do it more uh, with more uh, panache. He puts himself more into it. So like, for instance, Yosef was, I mean, not Yosef, but... Um, Ruvain was a little bit concerned about the other brothers, that they're going to thwart his, his plan to save Yosef. Um, Arain was a little bit uh, embarrassed, or he was thinking, you know, like, well, I, don't, I, don't, I should make a big Timis from this, right? And, and, and Baez also, he was sort of like, look, what are people going to say? I'm, I, here's this uh, young widow, and I'm giving her nice food. They're going to think I'm, like, coming on to her. Like, I, I don't want to give that impression, right? But if you would have known that this is for eternity, you would have said, you know, who cares about the impression that the people looking at me right now have? This is for all generations. This is for eternity. Let me do it right. So that's another explanation that Yifas Tayyar uh, gives. And, and another one, I'll just mention one more and we'll move on, is that sometimes people think something is insignificant. They themselves don't realize the profundity of what they're doing. They know it's a good thing. They just don't understand the ramifications, the big picture. And if they were to understand that this is going to be recorded and studied by future generations, it hits them how massive the action is that they're involved in and they, it didn't register with them before that okay at any rate the point is that Rebbe refers to a medrash which basically says it's human nature it's human psychology that when you know something is going to be recorded then you do things even better even better than you're already doing them currently and that's what the Rebbe is saying here i want you to write to me because i want you to have that accountability that the Medrash describes, and it's just sort of unavoidable. That's the way that that accountability affects the human psyche. It, 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 it will 
pull more productivity out of you. And the Rebbe says it pretty explicitly right here. Let's, let's continue. We see for ourselves, it's empirically evident. When a person knows that he has to report about what he's doing, and if he doesn't report, he's going to be asked, hey, what's up with that? Why are you not reporting? So then he has to, he knows for sure he's got to report without any cosmetics, without any massaging, without what they call it, spin, without any spin. So this automatically forces him, it arouses in him to up his game, to do things with greater intensity, with greater vigor. Until sometimes it even pulls out hidden abilities that were unrevealed and it makes them revealed. Meaning there's potential that you have that you didn't know you had, but when you have to write and report, that potential is going to come out. And you you wouldn't be able to summon up those potentials otherwise, but somehow this, this phenomenon of accountability automatically elicits those hidden talents. Things that are so evident and obvious don't really need to be elaborated upon at length. At any rate, so another reason why accountability is so important. And writing to the Rebbe is so important. All right. Now another point. Masha Kesef, this which you write, in your new neighborhood, and then you don't know about an appropriate place. I'm not sure exactly what this means. Um, it sounds like it means a place to maybe set up a shul, maybe to give classes, but I'm not certain. At any rate, the person says, I'm in a new neighborhood, I moved, I relocated, and I don't know the, uh, uh, about a good place, a good location, where to get situated. The Rebbe says, listen, everything that has to do with Teter Mitzvahs has to come through toil. Only when we're talking about the other side, that means the klippa, the sitra achra, negativity, do we say, uh, you know, this is a this is a the phrase from uh, the the Jews when they were regrettably nostalgizing or reminiscing about the good old days in in Egypt. What was so good about Egypt? They were, they were, they were slaves. They said, "Oh, remember back in Egypt when we ate bread for free? You weren't eating for free. You were slaves, free from mitzvahs, free from mitzvahs." It was before Mount Taylor. They didn't have mitzvahs, so they were nostalgizing about before they had those moral obligations placed upon them. So that's the side of negativity over there. the The negative side gives free lunch, as we call it in, uh, in our vernacular. But in the side of Kedusha, there's no free lunch. 
or like uh, Shimka Lazarov, the Hedshlich uh, from Texas says, there's no, no free lunch. Even if somebody tells you such a Mishigas, believe me, I tried it no matter what. There's no free lunch. Anyway, he sings it better than me, but there's no free lunch on the side of Kedusha. If there's a, there's, there's a free lunch, that's the Sitra Achra. So this guy, apparently he was writing to the Rebbe and saying, uh, well, you're going to see, he actually, I think he either wistfully expressed the desire for a miracle, or perhaps he even went as far as to ask the Rebbe to perform a miracle. And the Rebbe is telling, why would you do that? Like, it's good to work hard in, in anything that's holy, anything that's, that's pure is going to entail toil and work. I'll tell you just very briefly, there's a, there's a story that a father brings his little boy to the mikvah for the first time. Or this is in the, the Altaheim. So the mikvah means Yitoivel and Teich. That means the river and it's frozen. There's ice. So you have to smash a hole in it. So the, the father takes the little boy and he dips him in the, in the cold uh, river. And the little boy squeals, ee! And then the, the father takes him out, wraps him up in a warm blanket. And the boy says, ah! The father says to him, I want you to learn a lesson in life. See, the mikvah is holy. Okay. So it starts with an E, with a squeal, but it ends with an ah, because that's how holy things are. But then there's other things in life. They start with an ah, but they end with the E, with a squeal, and that is the stuff that's not holy. So if it's holy, it's going to start with toil, but that's all part of it. And, and let's look here at what the Rebbe says. Uh, and if you look in Zayar, volume 2, um, that means the book of Shmois, and on page 128a, which is Parshas Truma, you're going to find over there what it says. And it's interesting, I was just, I saw that Maramokim, I said, oh, Zayar, we had a Zayar last night, which I recognized, because of Lukut Yisichas, trust me, I'm, I'm not a student of Zayar, at least not directly, but when there's a when there's a source in the Rebbe's Torah for a Zayar, I'll go look up the Zayar. So last night, there was a Zayar that sent us to uh, the Sicha about the Bitochen, about Meishu Rabbeinu. Um, from Chelek uh, Chovav. I think somebody wrote in and asked. It's, uh, I believe it's Chelek Chovav. Uh, at any rate, um, the fact checkers will let me know. That's just off the cuff. But this Zayhar, I recognize this. Like, oh, I know this. Where do I know this from? I'll tell you where I know it from. So, uh, Shabbos, I was relearning my favorite mimer, Bayemash De Oser which is a, a mimer that Rebbe said on his birthday, Yud Aleph Nissen. And so I was re- learning, you know, I'm not only doing the 30 letters in 30 days, it's my achana for Yud Aleph Nissen. So Shabbos, I was learning with my wife, we were learning B'yemesh uh, and over there, the Rebbe speaks about, uh, it's a whole explanation about why the Jewish people, uh, they choose a relationship only with Hashem and not with Kechav Mazales, not with the intermediaries. Well, why would you choose a relationship with the intermediaries? And it explains over there because when, when, when you have a relationship with the king, it's limited. Why? Because in Kedusha, you have to work hard. You have to work hard. There's no free lunch. <laughs> there's no free lunch. Okay. But in Klippa, it, there's a makif of, uh, it's just like, 
you can't internalize it because it's not compatible with your system. It just sort of washes over you. Um, but it, it feels good, at least at first. And it feels like you're getting, you know, it's like when the credit card companies send you the, the, the envelope with the checks and you're like, Oh, free checks, blank checks, money. They're giving me it feels, feels so good. It feels like they're just giving you free stuff. They're not giving you nothing. They're there to make you an indentured servant for the rest of your life to pay that APR. But at any rate, so over there in the also, which was my favorite, I mean, personally, it's my favorite mimer from the Rebbe. So he explains over there that in Klippa, yeah, they give it to you for free. And, uh, you know, they come back and they, they bite you in the end. You know, that's how they get you. But <laughs> at any rate, so he's metzayin to that Zayar. And I saw the Zayar in tonight's letter. I was like, I said to my wife, is that the same Zayar that we, we looked at on Shabbos? She said, go, go look. There's a bookmark still in the Zayar. Open it up and see. I said, yep, that's it. Okay. Um... So why are you davening for a miracle and the miracle is going to come and give you an easy way out and spoil all the hard work for you? That you're going to find a place without toil? No, no, no. Everything with Torah Mitzvah has to be with toil. So yeah, it's good. It's good. It should be hard to find the right place to get situated in your new neighborhood, the Rebbe says. Shabbos nun gimel omid base. What is this? that's a gemara in Shabbos talking about a guy? It's an interesting miracle that happened for him. He 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 his his wife died Le'eleno, and he had a child who was still nursing, and he davened, and a miracle happened. He was able to to nurse the child. He he became he was able to to lactate and to to nurse the child. So there there was a machlekes there that I think was a of Yasef and Abaye about whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. But uh, Abaye said, "How is this something? How is this a good thing? He he did it. He had a miracle done on his behalf. That's not good. You're supposed to toil. You're supposed to do things naturally. That itself needs to you know. Famous story about the Alter Rebbe." when he was uh, in prison, and they used to take him back and forth from the prison to the courthouse for interrogation. And they would take him across the river, and uh, what's it called, the Neva River in Petterburg. So they would take him across the river, and he wanted to make Kiddush Lavana, and, you know, sanctify the new moon. And he told the river boat captain to stop the boat, and the guy wouldn't stop it. And the Altarebbe did something, you know, mystical stuff, and made the boat stop. But then the Altarebbe released it and said, now you stop it. The guy wouldn't do it. And they went back and forth like that a couple of times. Finally, the guy realized the Altarebbe can stop the boat. You know, I better. But then uh, actually he told the Altarebbe, I'll stop it, but you have to give me a bracha and you have to put it in writing, <laughs> which he did. At any rate, so then the, the, the non-Jewish riverboat captain stopped the boat. The Altarebbe made Kiddush Lovana, and then he released the boat. Um, so... The, the, the Fidik Rebbe says, I heard the story since I was a kid. I never understood if the Altarebbe could stop the boat miraculously then just you know what does he have to ask the the captain to stop it and he said but then i learned more chassidus and i realized everything has to be done within nature hashem created nature and the ultimate is not to sidestep nature because that's not a dirabtachtainim to make a dwelling place for hashem in this world means to work within the parameters of the world Anyways, that's the Gemara Shabbos Nun Gimel Omid Beis. Va'afilo Chulu Menakin Chulu Shabbos Lamid Beis Omid Aleph. That's another Gemara also from from Shabbos, but uh, different sugya over there, and it's talking about al semchin ala nes that we don't rely on a miracle. A person shouldn't rely on a miracle. And what about someone who says, "Oh, but I did it and I got away with it." You didn't get away with it because it depletes from your account. You think you got away with it? You didn't get. That's 
<laughs> I was speeding all day. I didn't get pulled over. And then you wait two weeks and you get the, the red light camera ticket or the speeding camera ticket. You didn't get away with anything. So if you rely on a miracle, it'll, uh, what do you call it, deplete or uh, it'll uh, detract from your merits. So don't do that. At any, at any rate, the Rebbe tells him, why do you want a miracle to find a new place to, I, I think, set up a shul or start giving classes or something like that? It's good that it's hard work. Go through the natural channels. That's the way everything holy works. Okay. Nanesi, now another subject. I enjoyed Mishras. I'm not sure the translation here. There's a few places I'm not sure about the translation. I believe here means a job. Okay. It's a, the translation says something different. Please ignore that. It means a job. I'm glad that you found employment. That's what I think it means. It's the fact that you have a job is going to be good for your relationship and you and your wife uh, with the local Jews in this place. Again, I think this person had some type of a influential position in in his in the place that he moved to, and the fact that he has some type of side employment uh, that I was saying is going to be good for your relationship with the people there. The safe safe gam haparnosa tove. And then in the end, you know, the money will also come. You know, first of all, it's good. It's just good for your reputation as an upstanding citizen that you have this job. It's good for your networking and your relationships with people. But also it's going to bring in money. Uh, and not only will the money come, but a lot of money. You're going to be comfortable with the time. Oh, this is harsh. Although... The Rebbe says in parentheses, if you had listened to my words, about the 13 strands of the beard, it's a Kabbalistic description of the mystical beard, the Yud Gimel Tukune Dikna, the 13 strands of the beard, which correspond to the 13 Midas Harachamim. Um, and as the Rebbe explains here in the source over here, that the beard draws down the mystical beard and say that uh Kavyachal brings down Rachamim. And so too, down here, the actual beard of the person is a channel to bring mercy into his life. So the Rebbe says, if you would listen to me about the beard, apparently this person had no beard. So the Rebbe is saying, First of all, it's good. You're going to have parnosa, and you're going to have lots of parnosa. So that gives him that bracha. Yeah, it's going to be good. You're going to get. You're going to have money. Okay, but by the way, if you would have listened to me about the beard already, <laughs> so if you would listen to me, it explains that the Tzemach Tzedek explains over there that the Yud Gimel Tukunidikna, the beard is corresponding to the Yud Gimel Midas Arachmim, to the channels of, of divine mercy. Um, and if your wife would listen about wearing a shaitel, covering her hair with a shaitel, over there in that zayar, it says actually that the sustenance, the material sustenance of the home can be affected, or even to the extent of being dependent upon the woman following this mitzvah of covering her hair. So the Rebbe says, you're going to have parnasa, you can have a lot of parnasa, but by the way, if you would grow a beard and your wife would cover her hair, you would have had the parnasa already. You would already have seen 
a change in your livelihood that is readily observable to physical eyes. That's even discernible to physical eyes. Yeah. What can I do about those two things other than speak about it? So here, I mentioned it again. The Rebbe makes clear he's mentioned it before. And I'm mentioning it again. What else can I do? I, <laughs> I can just mention it. I mentioned it again. Okay. Hapanshalai. Remember at the beginning of the letter that Rebbe said that the person wrote uh, a michtov and a pan. So hapanshalai, the, the pidyanefesh, the special petition for prayer. I will read that pan at the at a propitious time at the oil, at the resting place of my father in law, my Rebbe. That's what the Rebbe did with all the pan. Hashem should cause your wife, may she be well, that her pregnancy should proceed properly and easily, and she should properly and easily give birth to healthy children at the right time. Apparently, this man's wife was expecting. Bivracha, with blessing, and that's our letter for tonight. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. It's no free lunch.